This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 233 of the Yellow Airports. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by the marvelous Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. Hello, Stefan. How are you doing after this fine weekend? Uh, I guess I'm doing marvelous now, as you said. <laughs> and Matthias, also marvelous, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing marvelously marvelous. Thank you. All right. Um, yeah, that did not have anything to do with, uh, the, uh, third Avengers coming out today, but, uh, we have more and other exciting news. And, uh, before we get to that, I am very glad to announce that we have two sponsors for this episode. Daniel Pangburn and Jim Scully are, uh, the latest to chip in on patreon.com slash the yellow wall to, uh, yeah. Lend us a couple of quid, which is very nice. So thank you guys. And uh, yeah, that's not all. We have announced already on Twitter that we have uh, something yeah, to announce. And that is a raffle. Borussia Dortmund have uh, given us five tickets for Borussia Dortmund's game against LAFC in May, which you can win five tickets. And uh, all you need to do is uh, send us a picture showing your fandom, displaying how much of a Borussia Dortmund fan you are, either on Twitter, at YellowWallPod, and tagging at BlackYellow, the uh, Borussia Dortmund US account. And uh, tell us, of course, why you deserve to win a ticket. And the same is also possible via Facebook Yellow Wallpot is our account there where you can, uh, yeah, send us a picture displaying your fandom. And, uh, in both cases, please use the hashtag YWPLA to win the tickets. Matthias, anything I forgot? Uh, well, I figured we probably should let you guys know when the match is taking place. Exactly. Uh, it'll be on Tuesday, May 22nd at the Bank of California Stadium at 7 p.m. local time, so that's Pacific time. The Bank of California Stadium is next to the L.A. Coliseum and a bunch of other cool stuff there uh, in in L.A., so definitely go check that out. Even if you don't win a ticket, if you're from California or the Southwest somewhere and you can make that trip, definitely be worth it. Um, I myself am probably going to be there uh even though i can't 100% promise it but uh, the the odds are very much in favor that i'll be there if i am there make sure to send something out maybe we can have a little yellow wall pod uh get together or something like that on one of the evenings yes may the odds ever be in your favor also to our participants remember tag us the yellow wall pod on twitter and at black yellow 
And yeah, on Facebook, just tag us and uh, Borussia Dortmund or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll find something. Just uh, don't forget the hashtag YWPLA and then you should be golden. I mean, the, the odds should be pretty decent considering we have five tickets to give away. So you may be one of the lucky ones there. And, um, yeah, speaking of lucky ones, Borussia Dortmund, uh, yeah, were, I wouldn't say lucky, but, uh, certainly the winners last weekend beating Bayer Leverkusen for nothing. And, uh, I think we already agreed on one fact pre-pod that it was the best performance of the season. Lars, why was it the best performance of the season? Was it just Leverkusen being tired after the cup match against Bayern or were Dortmund actually really, really good or both? Yeah, as usual, it's both. Uh, I think Dortmund were lucky in a way to catch Leverkusen after a run of uh, both important and also quite difficult matches they had played, uh, Leipzig and Frankfurt and Bayern in the midweek cup fixture. So that's uh, three very difficult opponents for them to navigate in a short stretch. Uh, obviously, the defeat in the cup against Bayern was also emotionally draining uh, because this is a young team that had a chance to reach a final for the first time in, in this constellation. So uh, Dortmund caught them at a pretty good time, but we shouldn't take too much away from the team's performance, which was quite brilliant actually I, as you said we kind of agree it's the it was the best performance of the entire season which uh in retrospect doesn't seem like too high a praise considering how much Dortmund have struggled uh, since the end of September basically but at the start of the season this team was playing pretty well uh, under Peter Bosch so to say that this was the best performance of the year or of the season uh says a little bit and I think it wasn't just down to Leverkusen, obviously Dortmund made some changes that helped them with the problems they have had under Peter Stöger, especially in the build-up phase. Uh, and, and things that we've talked about on this show basically for months, uh, like the centre-backs finally dribbling on the ball a little bit to find better passing angles in the build-up phase. Uh, Julian Weigel being installed as the lone number six in the center where it's just so comfortable. Uh, this misplaced, I think, two passes in the entire game. Um, so I'm just generally, it, it felt like Dortmund had more of a focus on actually playing football than just working and, and, you know, being diligent or whatever. So, uh, it started with personnel also, uh, someone like Jaden Sancho coming in. I think not having, uh, but Shuai up front actually helped because uh, it, it made Stöger put one more, you know, good footballer on the pitch instead of, uh, uh, a battering ram, if you like, like Batshuay, even though he has some footballing qualities, obviously. But uh, just generally, I think a lot of things came together in this, uh, match for Dortmund, which then resulted in this big victory. But, uh, I would start with, you know, the build up phase for Dortmund. This was the, the the most poignant uh, improvement in my opinion certainly although i think a close second in this game actually was the intensity to make defensive plays because i was really impressed by the the way dortmund from basically top to to bottom managed to press leverkusen and in the second half 
Leverkusen actually had a really good stint before Dortmund made it to nil. So those 10 minutes, I, I thought Leverkusen looked really potent, especially after bringing on Kai Havertz. And I actually would say that the, the way that especially Mario Götze tracked back, Sancho tracked back, Pulisic, you know, often at full speed. And uh, to add to what you just said with uh, Philip, I also thought that uh, Dortmund had a number nine up front, if you want to call him that. Uh, a striker that also is a little bit better and more intelligent in the way he runs at opponents than, uh, say, Batshuayi or even Aubameyang. So I think that also helps to thwart the opponent's build-up. Obviously, it did not help Leverkusen that they were lacking someone like uh, Sven uh, Lars Bender and then uh, also Tar picked up an injury throughout the game. So, um, yeah, they obviously had their their woes, but... Um, yeah, it, it's a very good point that Dortmund, uh, yeah, had a better build-up play combinations. It all looked so much more free-flowing. And uh, in case you saw my Twitter account, uh, I posted a picture that basically all four goals at some point uh, in the build-up were in Dortmund's half. So it wasn't just the, uh, oh, we win the ball very high up the pitch and then have a counter-attack. But uh, rather, you know, they actually combined, which was nice to see. Um, Matthias, um, I promised last, of course, that we will mainly talk about the footballing side of things because, uh, you know, it was such a good game and there are so many things to talk about. But um, before the game, there were a couple of storylines e- evolving. The first one, obviously, is that Marcel Schmelzer was uh, yeah, put on a stance. He was out of the squad in the... Um, Build up to the game, Michael Sorg said that uh, the yeah, club or the coach didn't have the feeling that he could be of help on that day and uh, that it was a sporting decision. Um, how did you perceive that the uh, captain obviously was uh, yeah not even benched but put on the stands? Uh, well, in my opinion, um, it was the right decision, obviously, given how tremendously atrocious uh, Schmetzer played against Schalke and honestly hasn't been playing that well. And he's, he's missed a lot of matches this season. Um, plus it, I think it sends a signal to the entire team that, you know, no one's untouchable, that even the captain can be sent to the bench uh, or in this case to the stands, not even part of, of the bench, just to maybe also clear his head and clear everybody's head and allow Peter Stöger to do Maybe some things he wasn't willing to or able to or had the guts to before, but it definitely paid off. And I have to say, uh, Akanji um, played his role at left back exceedingly well. I certainly agree. Um, Lars, how did you perceive Akanji? Yeah, I, I think I have to agree as well that he was really, really good. Uh, a bit of a surprise to see him on the left side. I knew from talking to some guys who watched him at Basel that he has some experience playing on the right side, but, you know, inverting fullbacks who aren't actually full fullbacks, but rather center halves, uh, it's just not something that happens all too often. But uh, obviously he has the athletic profile to play out there. Uh, probably the fastest defender Dortmund have. Um, and I mean, what he showed in glimpses when he started at center back, uh, his capabilities in the build-up play and uh, the the willingness also to take some risks in his passing. I think that actually works fairly well uh, on the fullback spots. So uh, 
Uh, I was intrigued when I saw the lineup. Uh, many people, I think, thought about it perhaps being a back three, but that wouldn't work with the lack of wing backs, in my opinion. So it was clear that it was going to be Akanji. And uh, yeah, I agree. He did really well and certainly didn't give uh, Peter Stöger any reason to not continue playing him there for the rest of the season, probably. Yeah, that would have been my next question. Uh, Matthias, do you think that uh, it's it's going to be this sort of back line and unless anyone gets injured uh, for the rest of the yeah, season, the three games that are left? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's no reason not to. The performance was complete against um, a very good Leverkusen side. Uh, this, you know, despite the, the loss against Bayern, who overall have been playing extraordinarily well. Um, and Stöger, I think, even said that it'll be difficult for Schmelzer to get back in in the future um, in, for the rest of the season, especially because he'll, he'll keep Tolian on the bench who can play left or right back. So you have your, your fullback positions covered. If in case something weird happens where Tolian is on there and then you still need to switch a left back or right back, obviously Socrates could also play right back in a, in a pinch. So no, I think uh, this is... You know what happened there? Hmm? You know what happened there? Mm -hmm. Now Jeremy Tolian is, is the new Eric Dom. There you go. There you go. The new, the new Doom until, yeah. Well, let's hope not for his injury history. Let's hope that's not the case. But, uh, be that as it may, I think there's no reason to change at this point. No, I also don't really see a reason to change it. Um, and of course we do have to talk about an 18 year old kid once again having a breakout game. At least in my view, Jaden Sancho, he has shown glimpses of his skills already this season when he was playing, but not in the way he did this Saturday. And uh, I certainly thought it was quite amazing how many take-ons he had, how many dribbles, how many successful dribbles, but also the uh, awareness to when, when to maybe dribble and, and when to play a pass. I thought that was really well uh, yeah, worked by him and you could see how good he can build synergies with the likes of uh, Götze and, and Royce on an instant. I think it was you, Lars, uh, who threw a bit of shade being uh, very surprised that uh, good footballers find good solutions. Uh, I thought it was certainly the case. Um, how do you think Stöger will, will go on from there? Because similar to Akanji, I would actually make the argument that right now there are very few reasons to drop him. Last, do you think uh, that against Bremen, for example, we would see someone else on that left position? Or do you think uh, if Sancho... Yeah, plays like that, you gotta play him. Yeah, I mean, the old adage goes, uh, never change a winning team. And it wasn't just a win, it was the most comprehensive performance of the entire season, as we've talked about earlier. So, uh, one of the main catalysts in that was Jaden Sancho, who, in my opinion, was the best player on the pitch. I gave him only the second perfect rating of the entire season, the other being uh, Roman Burki when he kept out, I think, 11 shots uh, at Gladbach on that uh, horrendous pitch. So uh, that tells you how impressed I was with him. And uh, the same goes uh, for him as goes for Akanji. There's no reason to take him out. And why tinker with something that worked so well? Uh, and also a bit like Akanji, I don't really uh, like the alternatives right now. 
Uh, I'm not even sure if Andre Schöll is going to be fit to play against Bremen. Uh, and because of uh, the injury to Batshuayi, you probably have uh, Reus and Philipp already starting anyway. So if the question comes down to uh, Schöle against Sancho, all the arguments are with the young Englishman. Uh, the the one caveat that is uh, perhaps there is that uh, Shinji Kagawa might be able to play Uh, maybe not against Bremen, but uh, in the games against Mainz and Hoffenheim. And uh, going by the way he played in the few games under Stöger, he got, uh, I could see him coming in and then uh, maybe Reus moving to the wing and, and Götze and Kagawa playing as the kind of double 10 uh, if Stöger indeed goes with the kind of Tuchel-like 4-1-4-1 shape that he used against Leverkusen. I would actually make the argument that I would prefer Royce in a more central role and Sancho on the on the left, um, just because Royce is not the sort of player that beats opponents one against one just as Sancho does. And I would also make the argument that had Sancho maybe started in the Revere Derby, at least I I don't know if Dortmund would have won it. And the same argument could be made about Götze, but if you have players that actually can win a one against one situation with a higher frequency and uh, Christian Polizic failed to do so in, in the derby. But if you have different outlets that can create that kind of space, I actually, you know, would have had more confidence in Dortmund winning that game just because, uh, you know, against such a defensive opponent, you sort of need to win a duel just to create some space for yourself because uh, we've seen it all season. Dortmund are not quite doing that via their passing. So, um, Matthias, Sancho had a hand in in all four goals but uh what was your favorite Jaden Sancho moment the the goal he scored or any other moments I would say it was the third goal that pass from Akanji to Sancho with that uh well incredible touch to take the ball control it in stride kind of with the side of his his boot and then uh passing it over to Maxi Philip who Put it in. So uh, to me, that was my favorite goal, my favorite Sancho moment. Honestly, so far for me, whenever we get to the award section in a few weeks on the show, uh, my nomination for goal of the season. Well, it was a really pristine touch. Uh, I I made a gif out of that because uh, Mario Götze once had the same touch uh, in the game against Hamburg in 2010. And, uh, you know, there are some parallels because Götze back then, I think, was also 18 you know, still the, the rising talent. And um, yeah, very exciting. Um, Lars, after Oxlade chamberlain picked up an injury and is likely to be out of the World Cup, do you think it would be smart for the English national team to take Sancho with them? Because I think he certainly has some talents to, to add and contribute to that side. Maybe not as a starter, but, you know, probably a player that's good to have around what do you think yeah i think he would be good to have around uh, i don't really see how uh oxley chamberlain's injury would uh, contribute to that because uh, he's more of a central midfielder right now so if anything uh jaden sancho's former running mate at man city phil foden might have uh, a slight opportunity to make it but uh, generally i i actually see the uh, see the argument I, i'm always all for taking a couple of those youngsters with me to these tournaments. Uh, the the fact of the matter is usually you don't need 
20 outfield players to play an actual role. So for those 18, 19, 20 spots, to me, it makes more sense to take a, an 18-year-old guy, just have him learn the the ropes. What does it take to be a, a player for my national team? You know, what, what, do, what do I want as a coach from my guys when I have them together for, you know, these four, five, six weeks, depending on, on how far they go. So if, if I were uh, Gareth Southgate, I would definitely consider taking him and, and actually uh, once once he's there, there's every opportunity he actually gets some game time because he can make uh, a difference. And I think uh, if you look at the current England squad, you've probably only got Raheem Sterling uh, who can make, you know, things happen out of nothing, basically. Maybe him and Dele Ali. So uh, why not take someone who's fresh who doesn't have any bad experiences on the international stage like some of the other England internationals have and let him you know play 10 12 minutes at the end of games I don't I don't see why that would be a huge problem but obviously uh, he's not playing in the Premier League he's so young uh, there, there might just be too much going against him but I can definitely see the argument yeah I, I think um, just including one of your brightest talents that you have into the World Cup squad just for the sake of him learning his way around. So as you just mentioned, is may maybe the best one, apart from that he can actually make a contribution, which uh, I certainly think he is capable of at, at this point. Um, Matthias, if we look at the game, Dortmund played in a 4-1-4-1 shape, um, we saw a lot of synergies, a lot of combinations. Um, do you think that it was just that easy um, for Dortmund to make a switch in their system and in their approach and obviously with the players to yeah, have that sort of performance or do you, do you think it was just a perfect storm with Leverkusen being a, a proactive team and offering space? And uh, maybe, as as we already mentioned, being a little bit fatigued, or do you think that uh, Peter Stöger really has struggled there and uh, Dortmund can actually play on that level and the way they showed on that Saturday uh, for the remaining games? Well, one match a season does not make, uh, that's, that's for sure, nor does it break it. Um, you know, we'll see what they do from here on out. I think it's a combination of all the different factors that you mentioned. Um, you know, we talked about it in last week's episode that, um, you know, Leverkusen does leave gaps given how they play. And, and if Dortmund can exploit that, exploit those, they can have a really good, good chance. Um, and I think there's also just the combination of certain key players were comfortable in the, you know, let's call it the Tuchel system, um, and, and remembered it and understood it and could play accordingly. And then those that had to be slotted into certain roles, uh, like Akanji or Maximilian Philipp. Okay. Akanji was more extreme, but Philipp has played as an, as a striker before. So I, I think it was just, the perfect storm in terms of a combination of all these key ingredients that helped produce those kind of performances um, to, to a point where you almost, almost <laughs> forgot everything that happened in the months before. Almost. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, Dortmund are so inconsistent this season that you cannot take something like that for granted, but obviously you would want to hope uh, that they can replicate a performance like that. Um, what I found really impressive 
is that a there was not really a player that had a bad game. They all were performing really, really good. And B, they did it from the first minute to the final whistle, which was after the 90 minutes because uh, the referee had the mercy whistle applied there <laughs> to not give any added time. Um, I also thought Christian Pulisic had a really good game and he, he did not really grab a lot of light, limelight, but I, I thought uh, he definitely deserves a mention too. I mean, he set up that first goal for, for Sancho and uh, it was amazing how, uh, yeah, that pass basically forced Henrichs to change his direction, but uh, yeah, he was never going to reach it and he slipped and yeah, made the dynamic of the goal look even better. Jaden Sancho obviously stucking away, uh, sticking it away this time. Uh, yeah, he already missed the first, but uh, before I say more about him, maybe we'll quickly hear from him and then we'll be back. When I missed the first chance, I was upset with myself because it was no no. But then I made sure the second chance I scored. So I'm really happy that I scored my debut goal. Especially coming back from injury, it's been very hard for me getting back into my team, getting my fitness. But now I feel good. That was Jaden Sancho after the game. I hope uh, he could understand it with his uh, thick English accent. Um, Lars has already mentioned it, and I want to ask you, Matthias, do you think that um, Batshuayi's injury is as harsh as it may sound now was a blessing in disguise because of the synergies that we saw against Leverkusen with Philip Roy, Skötze, Sancho, and, and Pulisic, and the the dynamic that uh, was created by that and the the spaces that were open by the runs or do you think that scoring rate of uh, 0.7 goals per 90 minutes is just too much to make up for well i don't think you could say it's too much to make up for given that don't just scored four goals um and as such and given how poor the the performances were in the the previous few weeks um you know aside from stuttgart i i think it It helps um, uh, because it forced Peter Stöger into not for him non traditional uh, role thinking in in how he positions the players, who plays where, and given that Philip is also used to coming from deeper positions, ru making runs and stuff like that, that's uh, obviously more conducive to this. You know, it's not the back to goal, hold the ball up, lay it off. It's a little more, I'm not going to say Obama Young-ish, but probably a little bit closer than what Bachuai uh, offers. Um, so as such, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a blessing in disguise as much as you could say it's a blessing when someone gets hurt that badly. But no, very good. Yeah, I was certainly impressed. Um, Lars, what does that mean for Alexander Isak? Yeah, I mean, the writing is on the wall for this season. If he's not on the bench uh, in the first game after your main striker goes down uh, and the team scores four goals, uh, I guess that means you're not really needed at the, as of this moment. I mean, that doesn't uh, mean he won't be in the, in the squad for any of the other three games. He might actually get some playing time, uh, especially in in case of Dortmund securing the Champions League for next season, which uh, right now seems like a decent possibility because of the the team struggling outside of uh, Hoffenheim. So uh, I could see him getting some minutes, uh, maybe against Mainz and against Hoffenheim, but uh, certainly 
he's not like Stöger said, a, a, a real alternative to start in place of Batshuayi. If that were the case, he would have been at least on the bench and probably wouldn't have would have gotten like 30 minutes to show himself against Leverkusen. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right, um, Lars. Also, I will give you the opportunity because we all have criticized uh, Peter Stöger quite heavily. Um, and I will play devil's advocate here and say that he was a little bit forced to his luck because Schiller was injured, but Roy was out. So he had to make changes, but nevertheless, he made changes that I certainly wouldn't have expected and it went well. So I will give you now, uh, the opportunity to, uh, yeah, give the, uh, Austrian coach a little bit more praise for what he did to set up his team for Leverkusen. Yeah, he does deserve uh, credit for it. Uh, Obviously, you said uh, correctly that he was forced into some of the decisions that uh, played a decent-sized part in Dortmund playing so well. Uh, you know, as we've talked about just now, not having a real striker, uh, discounting uh, Alex Isak, obviously. Uh, also, I think Nuri Schein's performance against Schalke uh, lended uh, itself to Weigel starting Uh, as the holding midfielder, he had a really good game. So, I mean, the circumstances obviously played a role in this. And, and we talked about, we've talked earlier about Leverkusen having a, a, a difficult stretch, but obviously he deserves credit. Uh, at the end of the day, he's the one making the decisions and, and he could have gone with basically the same lineup uh, as in the Revier Derby and uh, just say, you know, he, those are the, the 11 players. I, I want to give them, uh, you know, the chance to redeem themselves, which is something uh, somewhat conservative coaches, as I would categorize him, uh, have done in the past. So I, I would say he deserves some praise for, uh, you know, the decisions he made. But also uh, on the flip side, we can say he deserves some scrutiny for not making some of them earlier. I mean... Uh, I don't understand why any coach would uh, gladly not play Mario Götze, for example, when he's uh, healthy and on the bench. That doesn't make sense to me because Mario Götze is probably one of the two or three best players on the team uh, and and had played a decent, at least I would say, a pretty good uh, first half of the season. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly is going on between the two on the training ground or whatever in, inside the locker room or something then probably not a great personality fit or whatever because I struggle to come up with enough football uh, criteria to not play Mario Götze when you already don't have Shinji Kagawa for example so uh, as I said praise on the one hand but also scrutiny on the other and uh, to answer questions that weren't asked on this show but uh, you know in the German media or whatever No, this doesn't change anything about Peter Stöger's long-term future. He doesn't have one at Borussia Dortmund. All right, I'll play this clip uh, when uh, Dortmund announces contract extension. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh my word, that one touch uh, from Götze to set up Marco Reus for the uh, second goal in the 55th minute, that was just world-class. It was just so amazing that... Also, I think it was it was fully intentional. Like he knew exactly in what sort of space to just dink or flick it on, however you want to call it. And uh, yeah, Royce rounding then Achan to finally score after missing a penalty and hitting the bar beforehand. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Also, that Royce grabbed the brace still after missing a couple of chances, and um, just tells you how much uh, yeah 
attacking potential Dortmund had. And uh, yeah, it was also good to see that uh, Sancho had uh, another assist late in the game to to make it 4 now that uh, the way he set up Royce was uh, also very intelligent I have to say because uh, Royce was obviously open at the far post but uh, yeah he raised his head and actually saw Royce there so you know that cross was perfect for Royce to to head in and uh, yeah also kudos to him to take the time to have the oversight and not just blindly yeah just ping it into the area and hope that someone makes a connection but uh, yeah just really nicely facilitated Matthias any other aspects that um, made you feel a little fuzzy fuzzy I don't know it was in the morning I, I don't usually feel fuzzy in the morning yet um, <laughs> no I mean the the one thing I want to add is um, ha the, the thing that really impressed me was the attitude the team had after, you know, two setbacks. I mean, first was the 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 goal that Roy scored that was ruled out for offside by VAR. And in my opinion, it was an incorrect use of the system because it was extremely, extremely tight. And as the rules and laws of the game always say, it should only be implemented if it's a clear decision. And from the angles used, it wasn't that clear. Um, and then that followed, followed it up with a missed penalty. I mean, was it maybe two minutes later? Um, if that, both times involving Marco Royce and the team didn't let themselves hang. Marco Royce didn't let himself hang. And, and that for me, was a really big indicator that this match could be quite special for Dortmund because earlier in the season when there were little knocks and setbacks, it, it seemed to to destabilize them enough that they just stopped trying. And, and that was even to a degree last season under Tuchel at times. And so that for me was very, very good to see. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the bigger picture. I mean, the pressure was really on... Dortmund ahead of the game I mean Leipzig and Hoffenheim were going head to head and so we all really had our money on Hoffenheim uh, probably winning this game but uh, I don't think any of us foresaw a 5-2 battering and Hoffenheim really uh, yeah just played Leipzig apart in, in that game so it was always going to be two points if Dortmund lose to Hoffenheim and you know you are going to face them at the end of the season now with that win, Dortmund managed to, uh, yeah, even even add to that margin. Now it's five points. Uh, you know, they're still not safe, but just uh, in the bigger picture, that was a huge win against a direct competitor for the Champions League spots in Leverkusen, who now really feel the heat in, in fourth place. And yeah, Dortmund jumping to third place, you know, getting a little bit of ground, you know, three points between them and Leverkusen and uh, conveniently also making up two points again to Schalke, who only drew 2-2 away to Cologne. Um, so Dortmund are in a way more comfortable position than they had been before this match day. And uh, yeah, they didn't manage to take a point away from the Revier Derby, which also would have helped. But uh, I think this win was very, very important now for the for the rest of the season. Um Matthias, how comfortable do you think Dortmund should be? How likely is it now that they actually grab that top four finish, which they yeah, were really, really keen, which was their main goal ahead of the season? 
Well, if you look at the remaining schedule, um, aside from Hoffenheim, I think it's conceivable, winnable, all of the matches. Uh, Hoffenheim will be difficult, to say the least. And as such, I think the chances of Dortmund securing a Champions League spot are very, very high. Good. Lars, do you still think your uh, Dortmund finishing fifth prediction will come true? Or do you think it has taken a big knock during this match day? I, I will uh, say first that it was a preseason prediction. So when you uh, fail to mention that on Twitter, I caught some flack uh, this weekend, but it's fine. I mean, uh, I, I stand by what I said. And actually, I was kind of proven wrong with Dortmund changing coaches in November that this wasn't going to be the most smooth sailing kind of season. Uh, but actually, uh, I think given the, the rest of the season for all those teams, uh and and current form as i said before hoffenheim is really the probably the second best team in, in germany right now but the others don't uh instill too much confidence in me i think leverkusen with the knock against bayern in the cup and now the the battering at the hands of dortmund they are primed to do a leverkusen and and falter towards the end of the season uh leipzig are in all sorts of trouble at the moment frankfurt are probably too far away now so it's I would be surprised, very surprised actually, if Dortmund didn't make it in the top four because it would likely mean that they will uh, not win either uh, game uh, between Bremen and Mainz. And I just can't really see that happening, especially with the way Mainz have been going. It being the last home game of the season, I think that's three very likely points at least. And also with Hoffenheim, I mean, for, for as great as they are at the moment, if, if they are to overtake Dortmund, they, they need to end the season on, I think, an 11 game unbeaten run, which, you know, that's, that's Bayern, uh, material and, and Dortmund in very good season material. And I don't think Hoffenheim are that kind of side. So I could see them, uh, you know, lose to, I think they play Hannover and Stuttgart before meeting Dortmund. So I, I could see them, uh, lose at Stuttgart, for example. So, uh, to make it more shorter, I think uh, Dortmund's Champions League chances are very high. I would say above 80%. Yeah, I would uh, put it in the same category. And uh, that, I think, is good news and will let a lot of people rest much, much easier in the Dortmund front office because, uh, you know, if you want to do an overhaul and you want to convince a lot of new players to come in, maybe, um, you know, it will be easier if you have the Champions League on offer. Um, Matthias, let me come to you with this first. There were obviously a couple of scenes before the game and after the game. First, there was a banner spread out across the West Stand, which read, uh, you did not understand the significance of the Revue Derby, you failures. And then as the game kicked off and the teams walked onto the field, uh, what was it? No courage, no will, no spirit, no team. You, uh, no, no one embodies Borussia Dortmund less than you. Um, those were, yeah, very hard hitting. And then of course, at the end of the game, uh, yeah, a lot of fans 
signaled the team that they didn't want not uh, did not want to celebrate with them because the uh, derby loss still hurt too much. Um, I think we all have our opinions about that sort of conduct by the fans and that behavior, but uh, I will let you chime in first. Why, thank you. That's so gracious of you. Um, it's almost as if you can predict a rant. No. Um, in, in, what do you mean, no? Okay, okay no. no, I see you're off. <laughs> no, I, to me, it's idiotic. It's, it, it, it's beyond stupid, simple-minded, moronic, childish behavior. So I, I think that summarizes my opinion. Maybe I'm being a little bit it harsh. Also gives me bingo on my hey, there you adjective go. There bingo you go. card. There you <laughs> go. Um, no, I mean it, it all. I mean that is serious, but in more seriousness, it was just stupid. I mean the the whole signaling we don't want to celebrate with you. You know what? Go and do one. Is is my opinion then? Uh, if you can't be happy uh, with the team after that good of a performance against a very good team. Then, you know, honestly, to me, your fan expression for Borussia Dortmund is a little bit in question. Um, shows a little bit too much petulance in my eyes, which I've always criticized a lot of ultras for is acting like petulant children. The banners before, it was stupid. Um, silly also along the same lines, in my opinion. But what I thought was great was, that Dortmund's answer was uh, that resounding fantastic performance. And I don't even think it really affected the players. I don't think there was much of a motivation they gained from being dissed by, you know, a few idiots in, in the ultra scene. Um, so yeah, I, I think a, people were frustrated with the way the, the Schalke match went. We all were, it's understandable. There was a lot of criticism, but there's a point at which that just needs to stop and you need to move on. And and I've been, you know, I had somebody question something I said once on Twitter. said, oh, you know, you've probably just been a fan since 2012. Um, you know, I've been passionately following Dortmund matches since I was a child. So since the, the early to mid 80s. And, um, you know, you, you can't, it, it's just stupid. Well, I would actually add to that and, and put it, uh, you know, one notch up because I think, you know, those, those banners were all fairish for the most part, but, um, I don't think you need to call the team failures, especially not after they have nearly been bombed to death one year ago. And we are witnessing very well in the ongoing, um, help me last trial trial <laughs> I wanted to say process but uh, that would have been too close to the 76ers um, in the ongoing trial that uh, the players are still mostly dealing with the ramifications of that attack and it's sim certainly not an easy season for a lot of reasons but I think that still factors in and I think you just need to be just that more sensitive to what such an issue and remember that the players on the field are humans too and it's not like they did not want to uh, lose the derby so um and to add to the uh arguments uh, and and rendering those uh ultras or whoever did that as simpletons i would actually add that uh 
I personally had the impression that the team showed a lot of spirit and a lot of fight during the Revere Derby. I don't think that was the issue. I don't think they uh, didn't take it seriously or whatever. I just thought they didn't have the footballing solutions. Schalke have a habit of making a game look very, very stale and Schalke also have a habit of pouncing on errors. Dortmund did errors, but all of that was uh, explainable, not due to a uh, lack of spirit, but, uh, you know, simple footballing explanations. And uh, yeah, Dortmund didn't play well on that day, but uh, also an entirely different game. And then to basically phrase the argument that the performance against Leverkusen made made you mad even more because uh, they did not show that sort of game against Schalke, it they they never would have even with the same team and the same lineup it just wouldn't have been the same sort of games so um, you know that argument is, is silly and uh, it, it, I don't know I just find it galling and uh, it was also so weird because it was we said it was the best performance of uh, the entire season I would actually add to that that the atmosphere during the game was also one of the best the entire season that the stadium was really loud everyone was on fire um I've seen Dortmund had, you know, high wins, 4-0, 6-0, whatever, and the atmosphere wasn't as, uh, yeah, electrifying as it was on that Saturday. And it was so weird uh, to see then uh, that the team just turned around at, at some point. And uh, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people on the yellow wall actually wanted to celebrate with the team and they did not get the chance to do that, which I also find sad just because uh, some people... Yeah, take themselves a little bit too seriously. So, yeah, that's the end of my rant. Lars, if you have anything to add, please do so. Yeah, I've had the the long-standing opinion. And I think uh, whenever we talk about these things on, on this show, I mean, long-term listeners probably know my opinion. And that is that fans have basically the right to do whatever they want as long as it's peaceful and respectful uh, towards at least your own. I mean, you can't <laughs> expect respectfulness towards a, a heated rival and, and the other side doesn't want respect in that case anyway. Uh, and, and maybe in, in terms of Dortmund this season, particularly, you also should so, uh, show some sensitivity. So, uh, it was peaceful for the most part. Uh, a few idiots on the yellow wall, uh, signaling, I, I don't even know how you would call that in, in English signaling, like, beheading players basically or i mean it's it sounds more dramatic than in, than it is in, in germany basically it's a, a get lost kind of uh, uh gesture i guess would be the the way to describe it so it wasn't you know too bad but still not something that i want to see after a final victory in front of you know the 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 people that are supposed to cheer on me for a good performance so uh, I'm sure some of the players were caught a bit off guard by by the reaction, but you know the the banners, for example, I don't really have a problem with it. I I find it a, a bit in, insensitive, but I guess uh, some people need that to express themselves. Uh, and, and ultimately, the the one problem I have with with this is that it's always a, a rather small group of fans that you know, takes uh, all the attention away from, as you said, a, a pretty good atmosphere in the in over the 90 minutes and makes it about themselves more than about the team they are supporting or the club they are uh, 
proclaiming their love to every two weeks. So, uh, for example, the, the banner said, nobody represents Dortmund less than you. Then my question is, who the hell gives you the authority to, to make that, uh, distinction between who does and who doesn't represent Dortmund? I think the, the great thing about this football club in particular and basically all, uh, football clubs, especially in Germany is that there's no, uh, you against me. There's, uh, every facet of fandom and, and of support and whatever, uh, that's associated with Borussia Dortmund. I mean, we are an international show with people from all over the world who love this club or, you know, maybe don't love necessarily, but, but feel very strongly about this club. And, and I feel like they represent Borussia Dortmund just as much as or more actually than some of these people who who make it about themselves every two weeks with whatever flavor of the month uh, protest they they have or whatever so uh, as I said at, in the beginning they can do whatever they want they have every right to be upset about bad performances or whatever but you know we have also the right to to find that childish or petulant as you guys said and it's stupid and I guess that that really should be all on on that topic. Don't give them more attention. That's probably what they want anyway. No, certainly, but it's it's uh, caused a reaction by the team, and it was certainly very visible there. And uh, yeah, a talking point that I wanted to have discussed also for listeners that may have not really, uh, yeah, paid too too close of attention to really, uh, yeah, know what was happening. So it's always good to spell it all out. Um, and that I think should conclude our little, uh, rant and, uh, look ahead to the next game, which is a Sunday game. I don't know if it's the early kickoff. No, it's a 6 p.m. kickoff. I just remembered because uh, I was looking at, uh, train connections from and to Bremen. And, uh, yeah, for a working journalist that tries to get home after a 6 p.m. kickoff game with, uh, Mixed zone and whatnot and waiting around. It's not really that easy, but Ronach uh, and guys are doing the taxi for me. So I will uh, just sit back and, and uh, be in the car. So that's uh, a lot of luxury for me. Um, I think the team is actually traveling there by train. Um, anywho, Dortmund against Bremen. Bremen are 12th in the table right now. If I see correctly, they have won two of the last five games against Augsburg and Frankfurt and lost their last, uh, not lost, but didn't win their last three. A 2-1 loss against Hannover, which really surprised me because Bremen then were really on form, but you know, just happened. Then, uh, scoreless draw, uh, uh, no, 1-1 draw against Leipzig and then a 2-0 loss away to Stuttgart last weekend. Um, Bremen, to me, ever since their new coach took over, um, Kofeld has, uh, they really have impressed me because they have played very proactive football, you know, very positive, were easy on the eye. Um, Matthias, do you think A, it's going to be a good game on Sunday night to watch? And B, do you think that uh, the, let's call it proactiveness, <laughs> uh, will help Dortmund to, to muster yet another W? Uh, yes and yes. I'm sorry. Cool. I'm sorry. Did you want more concise <laughs> opinions than that? No, no it's it, it's fine. <laughs> no, you, I mean you summarized it uh, nicely. Under Kofeld, uh, Werder Bremen have been one of the most fun 
uh, uh, teams to watch in the Bundesliga, play attractive football, attacking, aggressive. Yes, they concede possession um, a lot in, in different matches, but overall, not in a negative uh, way like you would associate it with a few seasons back, like, say, Darmstadt, where it's just like, you have the ball, we'll just all have back here, and then we'll send one or two player for, players forward to score. They're they're a lot more adventurous under him and it's been proven to work and and effective overall in his um short time at the club. And I think that will help Dortmund. It'll play into Dortmund's hands. My my worry, the only concern I have is you're away from home and Peter Stöger decides to go more conservative and and doesn't quite realize at times the quality of the team he has at his disposal that he doesn't necessarily have to go that route. So that's that's my only possible concern, but overall I think it'll it'll be a, an attractive match especially from a Dortmund perspective. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to it um because I I also feel like we will have a a lot of drama in there and and be um yeah, a very, a very, um, yeah, entertaining game because I think both sides will try to be attacking for, uh, play on attacking football. Uh, Bremen are one of the teams that have the luxury of, uh, not having to fear relegation anymore, I think. So, um, you know, they can play as, as we see, as we say in Germany, uh, befreit aufspielen, uh, you know, loose, unleashed, however you want to call it. Um, Lars, you already informed me before the podcast that uh, Bargfrede, their holding midfielder, and uh, Kainz, who I think is usually playing on a on a left wing, um, are suspended due to uh, picking up the fifth booking. Um, how much do these uh, yeah losses hurt individually? Uh, Kainz, I don't think hurts them too much. Uh, he's been more of a kind of super sub. I think he recently started some games because Kofeld wanted to uh, reward him for decent uh, performances on the training pitch, but uh, I've not seen him play well all that often, which doesn't necessarily mean much because obviously I don't get to see Bremen all that often, but uh, I don't think this, this is the kind of uh, loss that changes the entire complexion of the game. Whereas uh, Bargfrede uh, is probably one of the most integral players uh, in, in Bremen's system and has been for better part of the last decade or so. Uh, he's kind of a favorite of the, the tactics community, if you like. So if, if Konstantin was on this show, he could probably talk at length about what makes him so great. Uh, he's certainly someone that that has a strategic mind can keep things together uh, in possession and and help organize uh, things defensively but uh, on the other hand he's not the the kind of uh, player who makes so many forward runs and, and is very important in the way Bremen create chances so if we expect an open game which probably makes sense given as you said uh, Bremen don't have anything to fear or to play for, so they can just go out and have have a fun evening in front of their home fans for the uh, penultimate time this season. Um, then I don't think these these uh, suspensions will will hurt them too much. 
generally, I think it uh, could be a, a, a nice game uh, because Dortmund have now found something. Uh, I would hope still got six with it, where uh, finding solutions to problems in a football way instead of uh, banking on I don't know physicality and and morals or however you want to translate Grundtugenden which is, I guess, the most favorite word of Peter Stöger in the German lexicon. Basic virtues. Yeah, but Basic whatever virtues. it is, uh, just don't talk about it anymore, Peter. Uh, let's talk about football. Uh, so th they found something. Bremen don't have anything to worry about, so it should be a nice open game. Um, and, and that's also the way that the, the last few times kind of uh, developed when Dortmund and Bremen faced each other, apart from that game uh, that led to Peter Bosch's sacking, which was a Bremen victory at the Westfalen Stadion. But the other games in the last few uh, seasons have always been entertaining. I think the the, the was that three two at the final match day last season when Dortmund uh, clinched uh, third place. That was perhaps the most entertaining game of the entire season for Dortmund. So I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to get as exciting a game, but uh, the the signs to me point to uh, at least a very decent game on Sunday. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful because uh, you know after 31 match days we can I think conclude that this Bundesliga season hasn't really been that nice to us uh, from a point of view of brilliant Bundesliga games and uh, yeah, I don't know. There were there were just a lot of stale games. Maybe maybe that's something I say at the end of every season. Maybe that's just uh, my uh yeah, skewed perception. I don't know. Um but when I'm looking at transfermarkt.de, um I see only Philipp Bergfried as listed as a defensive midfielder. Um Matthias, any idea who could uh, slot into the defensive midfield for him because he's mostly playing like the lone holding midfielder so it's a key position uh <laughs> I'm, I'm i don't know to be perfectly honest um i'm struggling to think of someone off the top of my head who who would fit the role in well and, uh, if, if i might well yeah uh, please uh, came off the bench uh, against stuttgart i think they are going to go with uh, Eggestein, junuzovic and uh, max kruse as kind of a, a three man midfield uh, in place of bagfrede i presume so um also a loss that's uh, yeah still hurting them is uh, finn bartels who is out injured i don't know if he had recovered from his uh, torn achilles here which he picked up in that 2-1 loss uh or, or win from brim's perspective in in december i think it was um there are a couple of points I would like to make about this Bremen team, however. Um, first, Ishak Belfodil, uh, their striker or false nine or whatever position he, he plays has really impressed me, I gotta say. Um, very tall player, yet uh, very technical. I, I think he has a really decent first touch and good eye for goal. He's 26 years old. And, uh, yeah, I think he, he's just, on loan there from uh, Standard Liege. So um, I don't know if we'll see him next season too, but uh, so far he has impressed me. I don't know uh, how 
good as goal record is. Uh, actually, just four goals in 26 games I'm seeing here. But uh, the way he plays and the the way he uh, creates space, I always think he's a decent player and I like him to watch. Maybe he just uh, lacks a bit of that finishing touch to have a better scoring rate that, than he has right now. But... Uh, yeah, that's certainly a player I think Dortmund can fear. Obviously, the star player is Max Kruse. I don't think we have to really um, discuss that in any way or form. Um, but I would actually make the point that uh, their goalkeeper, uh, Pavlenka, has been one of the best in the Bundesliga season. Um, Matthias, would you agree there? Maybe the best? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'd say consistently over the course of the entire season, he, he has kept them in a lot of matches. Uh, very, very impressed with him overall. I, I can't, I'm struggling to think of any matches where he made really glaring mistakes or errors. Uh, he's, he's an all around, complete keeper and like you said i mean definitely in the discussion for best keeper of the season or at least top three yeah who would be the the rivals for that spot though Lars? i mean sven ulreich has uh doing has been doing quite decently since uh heinkes picked up but uh he also had that one weird mistake i can definitely remember against wolfsburg that one free kick ralf fairman for schalke has been good but uh not on the on the level of recent seasons, uh, he has made a fair amount of mistakes. Anyone who you're thinking of that uh, really has been so consistent and as good as Pavlenka that you would, uh, yeah, say he has earned it more to be named best goalkeeper of the season. Yeah, I think uh, Frankfurt's Lukas Radetzky uh, is at least in the conversation. He he has made I think two or three mistakes in the second half of the season but Pavlenka also had one really bad game I can't quite put my finger on when it was but I remember thinking that's out of uh, out of order for him because he had been flawless un until then and he has been since so it might be him or Radetzky and I also want to give uh, at least a small shout to Rune Jarstein of Hertha BSC who's uh, quietly been awesome for them for the last I would say two and a half seasons or so. He was really good last year. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, it might actually just be Sven Ulreich because he's been incredible, especially on the international stage. So not necessarily against Real uh, on, on Wednesday, but generally speaking, he's been much better than anybody would have thought, I think. And before uh, the next question, I have to uh, revise my statement about uh, Bremen's midfield. I thought Thomas Delaney was injured, but he was only suspended against Stuttgart. So he comes back in. So uh, it's probably going to be Junuzovic, Eggestein and Delaney with Kruse in a more attacking role since it's a home game for them. I would say that's a very important midfield, uh, to be honest. Um, where do you actually see Bremen's weaknesses? I always think that uh, Theodore Gebrselassie um, you know, is uh, somewhere between uh, brilliance and uh, yeah, not so brilliant. And uh, yeah, their their center backs Moisander and um, Velkovic, I think, will will probably play. Uh, I'm not rating them too highly. So, do you 
Would you say, Lars, and agree with me that their backline is maybe the biggest issue they have, or do you do you see it elsewhere? Because I I think their their midfield is is decent to good, and uh, Belfodil, as I already mentioned, also a very good good striker. So I think they're pretty well covered there on the goalkeeper position as well. So I would really put my finger on the on the backline. I don't really see anyone there, yeah, really being outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I actually like uh, the centre-back partnership between Moisander and Veljkovic. Uh, Veljkovic especially has developed quite nicely since coming over. I think it was on a free transfer from uh, Tottenham, so maybe Matthias can say some things about him. Um, I think he's the kind of player, he's going to the World Cup with Serbia, who who might be on the move maybe late in the window. Uh, so it's not a really a problem with the center backs this season. I mean, their defensive record, uh, is actually quite solid for the first time in, in decades, what it feels like for Bremen. Uh, obviously much of that is down to Pavlenka, but I think generally speaking, their, their backline isn't a huge issue. Uh, Gepreselassi at right back, probably the weakest link because Augustinsen, uh, on the left side is actually a pretty good player and also a player. <laughs> Uh, kind of a theme for Bremen who, who might be sold, uh, after the World Cup. Uh, the, the, the biggest weakness in the team, in my opinion, especially without Finn Bartels is kind of a lack of speed in some of these spots because you have more of a powerful, uh, midfield with the likes of Delaney and Barkfrede when he's playing and Junuzovic. There's not really a quick guy in there. Uh, Eggestein is also not very quick. And, you know, when your, uh, attack is, a large guy like Belfodil and Max Kruse, uh, pace is also not really a strong suit of your team there. So that's something that Dortmund might actually be looking to exploit on Sunday. Uh, we've seen them, uh, play very well on the counter against Leverkusen. Uh, so if Bremen give them some spaces behind those somewhat slow players, I think that's something, uh, the likes of Philip and Royce and Sancho and Pulisic, they are all really quick and, and, and quite astute technic uh, tactically in, in counterattacking situations with Götz as well. Uh, so that's, that's, that could be an area that could decide the game for Dortmund. Yeah, what I especially want to see again, which uh, we haven't seen in like, it feels like decades. Um, But we saw against Leverkusen, I think you last mentioned it already, that uh, the centre-backs actually dribble and, and move forward a bit. I uh, remember when Socrates just uh, went past uh, two midfielders who were just standing there. I don't know if um, if Brehm uh, are planning to press a little bit more than Leverkusen did in, in that instance, but I have a hunch they won't. So I'm hopeful that uh, the centre-backs, both Toprak and uh, Socrates, show the courage to do the same thing yet again and uh, yeah just break the first line via themselves uh, moving up forward or just uh, opening up spaces by uh, yeah moving opponent players or forcing them to move in certain spaces and then yeah having one passing option more um, that's something that I think made a lot of difference against Leverkusen even though it's just a tiny aspect of the game but it helps so much in build up when you do it and Dortmund haven't really done it before so um yeah that's something I don't understand why they did not do it before but uh, it's good to see it eventually so yeah I just hope they show it again Matthias any more things to add 
to the Dortmund Bremen game that I have not thought about. Maybe uh, something from Dortmund's perspective. Maybe any changes to the team, or should it just be as it is, unless anyone gets injured, which we don't know yet. Well, ideally, you don't change the team that played so well together. So, in that regard, no, no changes from my side. Lars, any changes? Nope. Just go with what worked so well, and I, I think we've covered the 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 positions that you know aren't set in stone. And that's left back, where Akanji has been great, and striker, where Isaac doesn't play a big big role right now. Good. Then I think it's time for predictions. I am feeling very confident now, so <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna say Dortmund will win this four to one. I I think Bremen will be proactive. They feel like they can uh, be loose and unleashed, and I think that will be their downfall, just as it was Leverkusen's. So I think Dortmund will produce another four goals because they have so much attacking talent. Matthias? Um, I am going to go with a 3-1 victory. And last? Yeah, I was coming into the show thinking 1-1, but I kind of talked myself into a Dortmund win, so I'm saying 3-2 for Dortmund. All right, yeah. All in uh, all high-scoring predictions here, so let's see how this yields in the scoreless draw. <laughs> Um, because Dortmund are inconsistent and you never know what you get, but I, I really do feel like they have, uh, yeah, struck a vein of gold and, uh, yeah. One can be hopeful. Is there anything else we need to cover? Anyone wants to discuss any rumors or that Jonas Hector extended his contract for Cologne and Timo Horn? Is that relevant to any one of you? Not necessarily at this point anymore. All right. <laughs> no, both both good decisions for Dortmund. Yeah, that would have been my summary as well. So uh, with that, I think we can knock it on the head. Lars, how can people find you on Twitter and read the content that you produce? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter or unblock me, Rafael Guerrero, if you're listening, uh, at Lars Polman and... Uh, I, my, my written work is in German predominantly on fußball.news, which is fußball with two S's uh, dot news. Very well, Matthias, how can people get in touch with you and how uh, can they discover yet another source uh, for Borussia Dortmund content? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Matiasuk and you can find at Black Yellow, which is the uh, new-ish uh, English language Twitter account official one from Dortmund. They have the American flag and the British flag there just to indicate international English language content coming from them. Very well. Uh, for more international and English language content you can of course follow me at Stefan Botsko on Twitter where you will find all the uh, posts that I write for ESPN FC so uh, you know another thing for everyone to check out and if you want to contribute to us financially please do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall just like Daniel Pangburn and Jim Scully 
And uh, yeah, there are still a couple of Royce Cups to be had. So if you if you want to do that, go ahead. And if you need any more details, you can always ask me on Twitter or whatever, and I'll uh, talk you through it. And don't forget to post us a picture on either Facebook and Twitter uh, showing your fandom if you want to get your hands on one of these uh, tickets for the LA game in May. And uh, yeah, that should be all from us for this week. Until next week, goodbye.